Good afternoon. Thank you for joining me again. Julian Campbell here with Business, the Law and You. And we've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is Know When It's Time to Kill a Project. We'll also be having our chat with Christina and we'll be looking at, well last week we looked at 10 different types of innovation. We're going to look at four of those types in greater detail this week. But right now we're going to have a chat with Richard Owens who is a facilitator with Family Business Australia, going to talk about keeping harmony in the family business. Good afternoon Richard. Good afternoon, Julian. Thanks for joining us again. So, uh, we know that over 70% of businesses in Australia are family businesses. Uh, what does that really mean? Well, Julian, I think you've got to uh, understand what a family business is through a definition. And it basically, uh, there are many definitions for family businesses, but the one that I like is that one family controls the business. And, and that means that um, it, it, size does not matter. Mm. Size doesn't matter one little bit. Uh, they range from you know, the corner convenience store to some of the largest businesses in Australia. A family business, as I say, is one that's controlled by one family. Uh, our business, for example, started at Wollombay at, in 1900 on third generation, uh, and it grew to being quite a sizable grocery business. Mm. The the so you, you you have to start somewhere. You start in the first generation with the entrepreneur. That person usually makes their mark, and if it goes on to the second generation, which I'd like to talk about a little later, succession. Um, then it needs to get better, better structured. But if you look at if you look at a, a, the difference between a publicly listed company, you have the business, um, business management, and shareholders, and they're the two main parties to the uh, to the business. You have a family business. You add overlay that with the family dynamics, mm. and you get a very much different and complex animal, and that. That's where family business uh, needs to um, be a bit better organised because of that complexity. Families can usually uh, manage their own business, but when you add the family dimension to it, then it becomes very much different. It's an animal completely different. So you've mentioned some of those issues, succession, sibling rivalry, conflict within the families. What what sort of uh, help or assistance can uh, family businesses get? Well, the study of family businesses are relatively new discipline. Um, I have been involved in it for over 30 years, but that was pretty much the start of it. Um, Back in the late, late 1980s, there was only one book written by a researcher into family business. Now, you've got business schools and universities all over the world that are starting to understand the, the enormity of the family business sector mm. in, the, in, the, in the business market. Mm. Um, you've got not-for-profit organisations, you've got universities. I, I know in Australia, the University of Adelaide is, is doing some good work in that area. You now you have accounting firms are starting to understand that their clients need assistance in the family business area. Um, so there are, there are forums that have sprung up, which are self-help groups, uh, where a group of like-minded family business people get together and 
confidentially exchange ideas and talk about their both personal and business issues. There are workshops, there are courses. Mm. Um, there are now lots and lots of researchers producing books and research papers. So unfortunately in the sector, the self-destruction that used to happen in the fam with the family business is now being ameliorated by the fact that there is some help, there is education, there are courses available. Right. So uh, one of the issues, of course, is su succession. You said you want to men mention that. What are the main issues regarding succession? Well, to go from... Uh, succession means going from one generation to the next. And if, as I said earlier, if the entrepreneur is the uh, starter of the business, he's the first generation, gets to a point where he, he has to let go. He can't continue forever. And often it's the a family member who is going to take over from the owner-manager. And he gets to 50 or 60 years of age and needs to start to slow down, step down a bit, um, he's not going to let go of the reins unless he has a, a, co a competent successor and that he's confident about it. He's not going to let go unless he has something else to do beyond running the family business. So he has to decide to, de to retire to something but not from something. He has to turn his head and say, well, I'm going to go and do some not-for-profit work or charitable work or whatever it might be. But he has to do... Otherwise, he's not going to let go. Mm. The other reason he's not going to let go as a successor is that if he passes the reins of the business from one for himself to his son or daughter in the next generation, he needs to be assured that he's got financial security for the rest of his life. He and his wife or she and her husband, need to have financial security for the rest of their life. Otherwise, they're not going to let go. Mm. And they are the two compelling and important issues associated with succession. If, it doesn't, if those two things are not in line, there are lots of other things that need to be done as well. Um, but if they're not aligned, then there is no way in the world that he's going to have seen it time and time again. Well, thanks very much for your time. Uh, we want to, we'll talk about structuring another time with you, if that's OK. Uh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye-bye, Julie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Richard Owens there from Family Business Australia talking about uh, some of the challenges that we have facing a small business, or particularly family business, and 70% of business in Australia are family business. So there's obviously a lot of challenges there. Time to pop over to have our chat on innovation with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you today? I'm good. I can hear your busy streets of Sydney there. They are indeed. I'm in a quiet spot, believe <laughs> it or not. Probably near the, near the, uh, the railroad works. The railway. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm actually nowhere near the railway. Where there's works <laughs> everywhere at the moment. Newcastle, Sydney, it doesn't matter where you are. So last week we quickly looked at uh, 10 types of innovation and we said uh, we're going to address each of those in a little bit more detail. So today yep. we're looking at four types of those. Yep, so they all fit under the title of configuration. Um, and the first one is the profit model, which is like, you know, everybody has a profit model, hopefully, or we're not sure why you're in business. Uh, but how do you innovate the actual profit model you've got? So a lot of things um, can factor into this. Do you want to charge premium price? Are you part of that whole auction scenario? 
uh, a, a, an applicable example is when, so we think way back before our time, I think, is when um, razors were two separate components. You had the handle and you had the, or actually, you know, the razor was the, the thing that you know, you could actually fill the throat with. Um, and what happened out of that was that the razor developed into two components. You had the handle and you had the blade. So then what happened was um, the people were charging, people were charging premium price for the handle and that gave people the idea that the blades were disposable. So it got away from that you need to keep your razor forever and ever idea and then what they did was that when people had got used to that idea, they flipped the model. So they made the handle um, the, the cheap bit and the blades were the bits that were the most expensive. So now you kind of go into a store uh, and you, you are used to, or most people are used to, either disposable razors, so you're constantly buying a new, uh, a new um, product, or you're used to just buying a component of the product which has a higher profit margin. And if I bring that to a different industry, so if we take that to the creative industries, a profit model, there was a, an organisation that was spending a lot of time giving quotes to people who actually couldn't afford products. So they were, they were start-ups, um, and this organisation kept being engaged in conversation, but there was nowhere really where it was going to go. So they kind of got sick of having um, conversations that didn't actually lead into sales. So what they did was they developed an online product that wasn't the, the very base, cheap, um, internet-available products like, say, for example, a Fiverr uh, or a, a VA-produced um, product, but they, they actually developed a product that was three-tiered so that a startup could then fill a gap in the market between getting something that was individual and of quality as opposed to something that was, you know, hit and miss off the internet as many things are. Mm. The next component, so that's profit model. The yeah. next component is networking. And there's lots of things, lots of examples around the world where networking has actually um, reduced risk uh, in product collaboration where new products have been designed and also collaborations where afford something that may potentially be not affordable then becomes affordable. So the biggest example of those, one is, and literally the biggest, is the Dreamliner. So the Dreamliner, if one country had taken on building the Dreamliner and then com like putting it all together, the risk, the financial risk, would have been enormous. Right. Mm. So what, what they did, yeah, what they did was they separated different components, um, divvied, divvied them up around the world. All the components flew to Washington, uh, and in Washington they put the Dreamliner together. So there was less risk for individual organisations and companies, uh, and there was this whole collaborative arena. A much closer to home, more affordable example of a collaboration or a networking um, is, for example, Stella McCartney and Target. So they formed... Stella McCartney wanted her goods to be available at a much lower price point and devised a one-off um, one designer label that was hers that was specifically for Target. So that was quite an unusual collaboration um, at its time. Now, fashion often collaborates with um, with places like Woolworths and Target, mm, etc., yeah. to get that low-end entry into market. Yeah. Um, the next bit we can talk about is structure. So how is the organisation structured? How can you actually innovate what that structure for you looks like uh, and how everything is, is facilitated, organised in your organisation. One of the most awesome for me examples of that is Southwest Airlines. So Southwest decided they were going to take all the frills out, as we know, um, until 2011 when they bought the Airtrain. They only had the Boeing 3737, um, I think it is. Uh, and what they did, because they only had one type of airline, they managed to streamline their repairs, streamline how they cleaned them, streamline all operations. And then 
they decide that, well, clearly, an airline is more profitable the more time it spends in the air. So what Southwest did was they devised a 10-minute turnaround. They innovated with their staff. They had every, like, many people um, take part in the exercise where they went, we need to get the planes off the ground in 10 minutes. Mm. Rather than put on additional flights, if we can turn around the planes, the profit margin's higher, we can still keep our prices low. Um, and the last thing is around process. So things like the lean um, model canvas, the business model canvas, have all led to, they were all innovative um, when they first came out. So it was innovation around process and how quickly you did things. So if you think about what is the special source that your organisation offers, and then we can take that to an example of IKEA, uh, where they developed the flat pack, um, no variations country to country, the instructions were the same, the packs were packed the same, the stores are set out the same, um, and therefore their processes were actually streamlined. And what they could do uh, with that was a, a lean kind of process that was an innovation in itself. Yeah, get the customers to build it. Yeah, I, yeah, I know, <laughs> I, I, yeah, no comment. I can't tell you how many times I've built it and undone it. Okay, great. Thank you for that. Well, uh, next week we'll look at another uh, three or four of those. Yep, that'll be, yeah, and just like easy ways for businesses to innovate. It doesn't have to be that whole new board game that you're going to innovate in one hit. You can do small incremental innovation things that make your business sustainable and that create new opportunities for you by taking on one component of your business. Yeah, find the starting point and take one bit at a time. That's right. As we we said last week, uh, 10, 10 ideas, that's one a month. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's not a hard process, is it? All right. You have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Look forward to it, Julian. Have a great week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with, uh, yeah, the first four types of innovation there and looking at our process, looking at our networking, looking at uh, other ways of putting our business together. Time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. As we said, this one here, know when it's time to kill a project. Zombie projects are the ones that fail to fulfil their promise and yet keep shuffling along, sucking up resources. They happen because shutting a project down can be very emotional and people um, often struggle to acknowledge when something just doesn't work. To make people view the process more rationally, create clear and simple guidelines for when to continue or kill a project. Consider these questions. Is there a real market need? Can we fulfil the need better than the competitors? Can we meet our financial obligations? If it's still hard to make a final decision, bring in objective outsiders, such as someone from a different division or even outside the company, to weigh in. You can also help people accept a project's conclusion by emphasising what was learned along the way. Hold action after reviews to capture lessons learned and create a database to store and share them. So interesting times. We do hang on to those projects sometimes, don't we? And that's maybe a time when innovation comes in. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, family businesses and uh, particularly some of the uh, challenges that they face. And we've also looked at uh, four types of innovation. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to visit the world of tax with Tony Vidray from AV Chartered Accountants. We'll chat about the next steps in innovation with Christina and have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. 
Till then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And, as author Henry Miller once said, one's destination is never a place, but rather a new way of looking things.